welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. It's great to have you here for part two of my conversation with Stuart Reeves. Stuart's an Associate Professor in the Mixed Reality Lab in the School of Computer Science at Nottingham University and also part of the Horizon Research Institute there, both in the UK. In part one, Stuart asked the question about what a university is for and also highlighted the complexities around university management and the funding challenges in the current climate in the UK. In part two here, he goes on to talk about how he has personally responded to these challenges, first by relating his experiences going on a picket line and the way in which that motivated him to become part of the university senate, part of the governance body within the university and trying to affect change through that mechanism. And this has ended up being a really interesting and timely discussion because uh, Stuart and he, many of his academic colleagues across the UK who are part of the university and college union have made the hard decision to go on strike again to demand change. In a tweet that he sent out on the 24th of November that I will link to on the webpage, he explains the demands that they're striking for. And they're issues like a decent livable pension after 30% has been lopped off by some really gross mismanagement. They want pay rises, not effective cuts, which the current 3% pay rise offer represents when you compare it to the impacts of 10% inflation. And they want pay equality and they want no more casualization of the workforce, and we know the negative impact that casualization has on young academics and their career paths. And I know that academics in many countries face very similar challenges around working conditions. So we pick up our conversation here where Stuart has just been explaining all of these issues and I start off talking about it being complex and asking how he has personally responded. It's a really complex space, isn't it? Yes, it's super complex. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. How do you respond personally? Like is it sort of despair or curiosity or hope or I don't know or do you just yeah. put your head down and get on with it or what well yeah it's, it's tricky I think there's sort of multiple responses one could have um so I think again another thing that's happened and I'll come to this in a minute but another thing that's happened in the um uh or come to the the details of that in a second in 2018 we had a big um strike about pensions in the UK so this is another thing that's kind of Working alongside this, I haven't mentioned another crisis is to do with um, the way that pensions are managed in um, for UK universities. So I'll just give a little bit of background on that um, so listeners actually understand what's going on roughly in my layperson's account. I'm not a pensions expert um, and nothing nothing I say is financial advice. Um, so <laughs> uh, so uh, I think it's around 2018 or maybe slightly before, um, I guess, 
our pensions fund, which is the biggest um, defined benefits pension fund in the UK, the biggest private pension fund in the UK. So defined benefits means that you uh, get a payout consistently for you know the rest of it, you know indefinitely, as opposed to here's a big pot of money at the end of at the end of your working life. Now go you know go play with it, it on the market or something mm-hmm. like that. Good luck, sort of thing. Pat on the back. Um, so we we have a kind of uh, a sensible kind of pension that obviously is uh, uh, for most people is far more humane. I would probably say. Um, and as the biggest fund, it's I think it's like ninety billion or something. But my figures are probably out of date pretty massive amount of money in our pension fund um a few years ago um the pension fund that manages this it's a private one it's not supported or backed by or underwritten by the government or anything like that unlike uh, teachers pensions so there's another point of um fracture some universities older universities which were um originally not universities so old polytechnics and so on teaching teaching focused universities i could say um, I believe all of them, or many of them at least, are on teachers' pension, which is backed by government. Whereas um, other institutions, so ones that were, you know, traditionally were always universities, like University of Nottingham or Cambridge or other other sorts of universities like that, these institutions were always part of this USS scheme, um, the University Superannuation Service, which is a pro- this private pension scheme. So that, that's another point of fracture. Now, the teacher's pension, you know, that's all underwritten by the government and I guess relatively safe to, at the moment, at least. Um, although, obviously, there's been a lot of turmoil in pensions uh, recently with like government bonds um, going crazy. Um, so our pension funds, really, really big, huge, shared between all sorts of universities. I can't remember how many members, but like one, you know, 150, 200, I can't remember, something like that, you know, like loads of members, really, really big. The fund running it um, said essentially we at some point there's a big deficit in our payments. In other words, um, we haven't got the money to pay people if everything was to stop, all universities were shut down suddenly. We haven't got the money in the funds to keep paying people's pension and guaranteeing that. So that's obviously a crazy uh, dramatic situation um, to say that universities are going to fail, but they have to consider it, I guess. But at the same time, um this was their rationale their reasoning so they said there's a big deficit we need to pay it or we need to kind of be able to afford to pay it back we need to have deficit recovery payments um and and in order to do that we're going to basically make your pension worse um we're going to have to you know you're going to you're going to recoup a lot less um for your pension now i should say there's loads of like intergenerational unfairness embedded in this Mm. um so if you're older your pension is essentially going to be cut by a lot less. If you're younger, you're going to get a massive uh, deduction. And by massive, I mean like 40% less on what you would be getting if they didn't do this cut. Um, so so this, this is kind of what happened. In, although they were proposing this basically um, uh, recently, but it's kind of been rumbling on for a while. 2018 is like the beginnings of them starting to say, we're going to have to cut your pension um, the proposals that were made recently, what I've outlined about cuts is the most recent um, iteration of this. But back in 2018 and before that, um, there's these kind of been this kind of long running battle between the union and um, UCU, our union and the pensions fund <laughs> and vice chancellors and other people who sit on the uh, employers organisation, Universities UK, who negotiate 
you know, they represent employers um, and they negotiate with mm. the USS, the pension fund, and also our union representatives. Um, so there's been long, long running battle essentially um, on the predicated largely on the basis of us having this deficit and we've got to pay it back. Um, and uh, that resulted in 2018, these, these proposed, some of these proposed changes resulted in um, huge strike action in 2018 and so a lot of people got involved i was involved um in 2018 and um it kind of i'd not really been involved in much of that sort of thing before and there was a lot of a lot of members of staff were involved some people who i didn't realize would even kind of pay too much attention um and that i think part of that made me think I should start to do something more about this and get more involved and understand universities and how they operate. Um, so quite a few of us, as a result of that, people, you know, you meet on the picket line and so on, ended up saying, well, we're going to run for the university Senate and join the Senate as a result of this. Um, wow. So, yes, yeah, so it's, it's like some people, you know, would become more active in the union. Um, others, uh, you know, there's, there's other ways of affecting change. I don't know how effective mm. it is because lots of university senates are kind of quite ineffective bodies and have, have I guess, have been probably, um, I'm not sure whether they ever were effective, but they're certainly not being used most effectively as kind of a pool of um, dist- uh, potential um, um, decision-making advice and so on, informed um uh people who can actually talk about with authoritatively about university issues um so so i think that's that's led to kind of doing a lot more coordination with people talking to people getting other people involved in senate um again i'm not the center of that by any means but i've met lots and lots of people who are now were involved in this kind of uh, you know actions on pensions and i should also say actually it's not just about pensions, the, the strikes and uh, was also a campaign concerned with other issues we talked about. I really like casualization, mm. um, pay inequality, and those sort of, you know, pl- a whole cluster of working conditions issues. So it wasn't mm. just that. Um, but yeah, it led to a lot of people, I think, taking things into their, own, into their own hands and saying, well, maybe I can get involved in university governance structures and try and contribute to that. But also you get a view of kind of, the guts of the machine and how it actually works and also i would say um you can sometimes see how bad decisions turn out and it's partly to do with um the way stru- way things are organized um uh, and kind of affecting change i think is also trying to reform those structures um in say university governance again this is like a super slow process it takes ages to do this because you're again it's the old you know steering a ship Mm. um analogy um and it can be really frustrating and i think you know some people get really frustrated with with that slowness yeah um and just like say i'm gonna quit (laughs) i'm not gonna bother with do something else now yeah i mean that's an amazing response to difficult situations yeah because you could just be sitting in the tea room you know whinging and and complaining but actually uh put you know making that sort of commitment what's what sort of commitment is it so um, if you're involved in a Senate, I mean, my particular Senate, it's kind of we only have like three or four meetings a year. Mm. Um, I think there'd be a lot of value in having 
more meetings because um, there's so much to talk about. Um, so it's not it's not a huge time commitment. I think again, I, I can only speak for um, for our particular senate. Um, that's that's when they meet. Other universities may have different organisation. I think mm. in some some places, maybe it was Oxford. Oxford um, they they have a, um, a situation where all academic staff actually do vote on on things, um, whereas we have this kind of process of election to to senate, which occurs. Um, so it's a kind of select. You know, quote unquote. Rep, I keep using that term, quote unquote, representative, because I'm not sure whether mm. it is representative or not. And there's mm. been lots of discussions about representation and how representation works. Um, so it's supposed to be in some way representative, some body of staff in the university. Um, so it's a subset of, yeah. of them. So what sort of things you, you talked about? You know, possibly trying to affect change. Now that you're actually in there and part of it, uh, what sort of things? Can you affect, do you think, or have you been able to affect so far? So I, I think it's, uh, to me, it's, um, uh, I'm not sure how much I, I should say about all the details, so I won't cover all no, the details. Just, but you, you may <laughs> speak generally, but, like yeah, yeah. the sorts but, of things. But I would say the biggest thing that um, a bunch of us have been kind of pushing for uh, quite continuously is, structural changes so things mm-hmm. like changes in the actual way that senates work in general and what a senate might be um so that involves again this long process of kind of trying to articulate that trying to get some people in charge to take notice in some way they also have their own ideas about revising governance which is you know fair enough so so that's partly that's one of the ways you can try and affect change again it's like it it's not really for everyone because it could be incredibly boring and frustrating for some people (laughs) the other thing is sort of thinking about centralization and decentralization we've talked about that as a group of of people involved in senate many times which is often you see and again this is i'm sure there's i'm sure this is reflected in many other um institutions you see institutions trying to centralize things for obvious reasons of things like efficiency Doing that, you know, this is kind of financialized, sort of financial sort of oriented logic, I guess, which sort of makes sense. But at the same time, when you centralize, you also flatten and the universities are bumpy. Um, so they, in many cases, when you flatten them, you lose much of the things like, you know, localized, you know, we would think about localized situated expertise um, mm. and kind of um, uh, networks of people, if you want to use that term, like... Uh, uh, local kind of organisations of people which are um, delivering stuff on the ground. So, th- so there's been discussion about that sort of stuff. So, I think even just, I also think um, the other thing to say is that um, it can be frustrating, um, but at the same time, just making a noise about stuff can bring it onto the agenda. And even if you yeah. don't think, oh, this has immediately led to some concrete outcome that you can point to at the same time you still hear it becoming part of the agenda and then people are actually talking about it so so it can be really frustrating yeah it's something Mm. it's something Mm. and and again maybe some people would you know probably rightly say they want to do more direct action or whatever it might be and that's fine and i'm totally totally with that but i think there Mm. are other there are other ways which are also worth pursuing at the same time as as Mm. those um so i wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't try and see it as one or the other, but also like a collection of, of activities academics can probably mm. do to try and change stuff and improve and, stuff. Yeah, and when it's a slow process, 
you can't like the the time horizon through which you judge the effectiveness of your actions you know needs to be expanded considerably because you know sort of in the short term it may feel like it's boring and frustrating and all you've managed to do is get a conversation happening or get it on the agenda but that may become a really important you know in in the scale of cha- the way things change it may become a really important step towards that change eventually yeah yeah um it's quite possible i guess yeah you'd need to be having the long view i suppose ultimately mm. Mm. But yeah, every now and, and then, I guess, I guess. Yeah, every now and then you get kind of um, uh, you feel a bit disappointed with things. Um, mm. But I think the other thing is, um, uh, at least in my experience, there's, there's quite a few people who are also involved from all parts of the university, yeah, at all levels actually, who are in, who are interested in um, these fundamental questions about again what universities are there for. Um, how governance of them should actually proceed and increase you know again a common factor is like how do you make it more democratic um you know how do you make it more democratic and participatory which is a, mm. a difficult thing to do but they're kind of being very hierarchical organizations like universities are very hierarchical organizations which are also full of people who refuse hierarchy mm. <laughs> like academics typically yes. who just resent yes. the idea of hierarchy but uh, so how do you bring those two together? It's kind of, it's a tricky thing. Um, and how do you make Tensions everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Tensions everywhere. I don't yeah, have any answers at all, but I, I know yeah. at least identifying the tensions is the start maybe. Mm. And you've said a bunch of times about the bunch of us and yes. how important has it been to have the bunch of you? Yeah, that's been pretty important. So I think, Again, I don't. I, I haven't been um, part of the Senate before 2018, but um, there's the more and more people who are connecting together via a common interest in being involved in governance in some way and starting conversations with one another about what they, you know. What's wrong, or what they want, and what they want to what they want to change, or what they think is is kind of not working so well. Um, so, so again, it's a collegiality thing where you're not feeling mm. you're stepping out of line by questioning something, but actually other people are also questioning that. So the other thing I would say is that there's there's a there's there's quite a few people who are kind of within you know our particular senate, and I'm sure others who you know regularly talk about these sorts of issues facing universities and and the kind of what's on the, what's ever on the uh, on the particular Senate agenda. Um, but I think also those people, although they're more active, they also represent, potentially represent much more kind of um, submerged sentiment that exists within the university by people who are not going to do those activities, not going to get involved, which is totally up to them. But nevertheless, they may well share a similar kind of attitude towards things. And certainly, you know, um, many of the things we talk about as a kind of bunch of senators talking about these university issues are often it feels like they're often echoing things that have been said by other people that we know who are completely detached from from getting involved in governance or anything like that or any kind of participation in the way that university is run or structured in those in that sense um, but also have similar problems um, and observations often about Mm -hmm. how things are working so uh, so the idea that um that 
uh, people who are involved in in trying to kind of look, you know, trying to engage with governments uh, are just proactive. Just they're just proactive people um, engaged with that that may well reflect a lot of other mm. a lot of other sentiment mm. that exists already. Yeah, but for you, is that sense of potential agency through that mechanism important? Relative, yeah. I guess, relative. Yeah. I'm just, you know, for other people, you're all experiencing the same things, but you're responding mm-hmm. in different ways in, in the sense of what you can do. Yeah, people people respond differently. The same is true of um, things like industrial action, whatever it might be. Again, it may well be you find a lot of people support support the um, uh what uh, say our union is is saying in terms of its uh, the problems, but not necessarily willing to go the step to the step of you know mm. going on strike or whatever it might going be. Going on picket line. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And again, it's sort of it, it's it's um it's it it it's definitely representative of this a wider body. Although obviously, when mm. people argue against those sorts of actions or um, positions that people might have about you know um universities having maybe lost their way or the way they're run being problematic yeah. um sometimes you know an argument against that is well you're just you know a, an, an activist not i'm not saying to me this is an argument to me but mm. you know people will mm. say you know they're just, they're just activists or union members or whatever it might be um but i think they miss the fact that it often represents this kind of wider sentiment um and there's a lot of um people who agree with you or at least have some kind of similar uh troubles with how universities work currently yeah what's what's been the cost to you of getting involved in these ways <laughs> so um uh time <laughs> yeah time away you know wondering whether it's worth spending hours looking over kind of 100 pages of paperwork that's poorly written or or um written in a kind of well it's, it's written for other people typically or produced by other people for uh for not for kind of um regular members of staff but your duty is to look you know look at it and kind of give your assessment of it and contribute to it in some way contribute to the discussion on it in some way in a hopefully positive way um so it takes a lot of time and as i said also it helps having a network of other people who are also involved in it to um meet with and discuss um, and that's also been been valuable to make it feel like it's not just you kind of um, toiling away uh, on your own, I guess, to understand how um, this organisation called the university actually actually works practically. Because uh, um, there's, there's, there's this whole other level of governance and management and so on, which exists, I'm sure, at all universities, uh, which is often very inscrutable to other people mm. partly that's i think by design but partly it's just because they're dealing with a whole bunch of other issues mm. um but also un- often unable to communicate to staff at large about why they're doing what they're doing what the actual issues are mm. so you playing a bit of a bridging role then in helping make those structures and processes more scrutable to people well, I hope so. I mean, I hope ultimately, um, with I hope ultimately, you know, that the people who are involved in in senates, um, including ours, and um, yeah, any other university senates, are 
providing us, yeah, the role of scrutinizing mm. stuff. Mm. Um, and I guess that's sort of, I said this before, which is sometimes universities do stupid things. Um, well, they often do stupid things, but one of the reasons say, why. Sorry, I just smiled there at the same time. <laughs> one of the reasons why they do stupid things is often they just haven't shown anyone. You realize if they just not shown anyone ahead of time what they, what people are actually, you know, what policies are potentially going to come out. Uh, or, you know, so this is a kind of very HCI point, right? Which is. I was just thinking exactly <laughs> that. Yeah, so so you actually see, and that's the other thing to say. You know, there's lots of um, value in um, kind of HCI perspectives, I guess, and sort of design-oriented perspectives. And you can spot lots of immediate problems. Presentation of um, things like papers and stuff like that, the, the you know policy papers, or the introduction of policies and how it's rolled out. It's often really, you know, often very ineptly done. Often it, uh, with kind of glaring problems, and partly just because they're just not consulted people mm. very well and gone what do you think about this mm. um the other the other problem is the other general problem i think is is kind of at what point are broader staff involved in the production of um you know governance itself or policies or whatever where they see a need i mean you know i can think of you know forget guess over things like covid and stuff um, um but also if we think about I don't know, just example would be like recording, more and more recording of kind of uh, teaching content and so on. You need to start thinking about that increasingly or have people have been thinking about it increasingly. So it's like, where do those, uh, where does that thinking come from? Well, often it comes from top down as opposed to mm. bottom up, um, partly for practical reasons, but also I think because of a lack of the structures involved to democratically produce that kind of, mm. uh, you know, those agreements about how we're going to do things. Um, so, yeah, so I think I, I feel like many universities are, are trying to, well, should be, I think, trying to become more democratic and get over this kind of top-down structure um, they tend to kind of adopt. Because I, I don't think it makes anyone happy, including mm. the people in charge. <laughs> and participatory as well. Like that's yes. something that could be drawn yeah. in from the methods we use in our research area. Yeah, and it's going to be full of friction and difficult and Mm. uncomfortable a lot of the time as well and that's something you find when you know when things are challenged um uh often it's kind of quite confrontational it's taken to be confrontational Mm. um even when it's most people want to just improve things as they are uh, not necessarily get into a massive fight um but because of the way structures governance structures are set up it often becomes confrontational as a result Mm. um, because of that kind of top-down element yeah which is a shame when, as you said, they all want it. In some ways, they all want the same thing. In, yeah. in well, essence, probably. <laughs> I can't know exactly what, but mm. I, I'm, again, I'm being really, um, I'm, I'm being, um, I'm being trying to be nice. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice and not, and not say, not say horrible things about um, the way that um, people running universities, not my university, of course, but people running universities. <laughs> may well think about um their jobs and what they're yeah. for um yeah. so i'm trying to be charitable right by, yeah <laughs> so what based on your experience um so far would you have any advice for anyone who may be thinking i could possibly get involved in look at getting involved in my university mm-hmm. governance in some way what what would be your advice from lessons uh, learned um yeah <laughs> Pain and um, frustration. 
apart from don't. Um, no, I, I think I think apart it's, from I think, don't. No, I think people should because I think um, the more people who actually are involved in speaking about regular, you know, regular issues, um, the better. Um, what you don't want is a situation where universities are, uh, are governed, and then stuff gets pushed down, and people just are complaining essentially about this is crazy. Why are we doing this? You've got to have some push back. Now, that obviously, as I said, there are multiple routes to doing that, and they're all valid. Mm. Like you know, it could be through via unions. Obviously, lots of stuff is done via unions in terms of negotiating um, working conditions and so on, and that's obviously really important. And they are also involved in university government structures as part of that. Um, so, so I would say that you know that, that that this may be an option for kind of some people to think about if they want to pursue other routes. Mm-hmm. um potentially but i think as i said they, they feel complementary there's like a coordination or should be a coordination between um what those people are doing in kind of directly in governance with other things like unions and and so on um so what i would say i would just encourage anyone to explore you also learn a lot about how universities work um all this stuff again i'm sure i could have read all about it uh, years ago but without actually having to know it or know a bit about it it's kind of um you can sort of ignore it but if you're if you get involved in i guess the, the sort of governance elements of universities you start to have to know about kind of the or i think it help, it's helpful increasingly helpful to know about the uh, the environment you're going into and part of, part of that's also kind of trying to see how other people see it who are in kind of more senior levels because they're looking at things like finances and so on and thinking about the latest government crazy government policy that's going to regulate you in a certain kind of way so so they have this kind of big regulatory burden that they often talk mm. about which is placed on them by the universe by the government now again i have sympathy for that at the same time there's a mass i feel there's a great lack of collective action by university leaderships collectively to refuse things you know that they're very reluctant to refuse anything push back against government because obviously they're ultimately government is going to be in charge of many of the purse strings especially on things like you know fees and whether fees rise or not or whether there's any kind of other other sources of funding um so we get things like um office for students grants for teaching which form a big amount of money quality related funding which is about research funding in addition to fees and also research grants, grants and other income, those are kind of that's all part of the finance mm. situation mm. for universities. So, um, so, so yes, yeah, so, so you may well be. Then I just think there's there should be a lot more collective action by um, university leaderships yeah. to to push back on things like league tables and rankings would be one thing. Another mm. thing is like about really sounding the alarm about this financial crisis occurring um, in universities to do with tuition fees and, and so on and where's how's the funding going to work in future if we're just increasingly running on fumes that's just like a terrifying mm. thing to me is your university um aware of and or signing up to initiatives like dora and that that are, yeah. that are starting to try to i don't know create that shift in culture mm. around rankings and how we evaluate research in universities yeah so we're we did again this is the kind of thing that passes through senate is dora membership or, mm. or signing up to dora rather than mm. not rather than membership um so we we've we are uh, signed up to dora and that i guess has been useful um initially to as a kind of tool to push back against um 
things like using publications, uh, met- sorry, metrics for the publications and so on, the kind of usual stuff. Um, the things like ranking and stuff, I think those are conversations which, again, we've started to have, but there's a lot of, um, I think, unwillingness to push back. There's also organizations like um, who are like QS and the Times Higher, um, which, you know, one of their, it's a bit of a racket, really. One of their jobs is to offer consultancy services to universities to provide them with true insight into why their rankings are so low. And then, oh, you know, you're going to give us a, a bunch of money. So it's sort of, you know, you, you think if only, but, you know, if only university leaderships would just band together and just uh, push back a bit. I mean, they, they've done it with things like um, um, publication um, charges. So there's been um, mm-hmm. collective action by librarians across British universities to push back or to collectively negotiate how they're going to pay, um, you know, publishers like Elsevier and others. And through, you know, through that collective action, there's great power. You can negotiate much harder with these organizations, with these companies that are basically, you know, um, uh, scraping profits off, essentially, um, from directly from, you know, public money, research money, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I think the same the same goes I think for um, thinking about um, pushing back against things like rankings and so on and not other sort of other government and, and government policies which may be coming down. I mean, there's free speech legislation coming down and and all sorts of other stuff coming down from this this and previous governments, which is adding to that kind of regulatory burden. Um, mm. I mean, some of it is it's not all bad. Some of it is, but a lot of it is is kind of uh, is bad potentially. So why are you still in academia? <laughs> I don't think I could work anywhere else. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I could. I don't think I'd do the research I would do anywhere else. I mean, this is another pressure, I guess, with computer science in general. Probably, you know, I'm sure everyone's aware of, which is about hiring and and so on. Which mm. is that a lot of computer scientists, people who are in computer science departments or schools, um, can potentially get lucrative jobs elsewhere particularly if you're in a certain set of areas, maybe, you know, relates to AI or whatever. Mm. But for the kind of work I do, I don't think I could really do it very easily anywhere else. Um, So that's one of the reasons uh, why I think I'd struggle to (laughs) to leave, even if I maybe wanted to. So you love your research. (laughs) You love doing research. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a freedom to investigate. Uh, things in the way I want to and just to be defined by um, what I want to do myself mm. um, not again this is no uh, nothing against people who go to industry of course they can they may want to do that but mm. it's but yeah, for not, you not that's really. not yeah, yeah not, not really and so so choosing to stay within the system and then doing what you can to change the system so I'm just looking at the time here are there any things that we haven't touched upon that you were thinking we'd really like to be talking about? I don't, I don't think so. I think we've covered quite a lot, actually. <laughs> so it's a lot of food for thought and it's, you know, just making visible or reminding us all of how complex it is and, you know, the, the, the encouragement to be part of the change we want to see, you know, when we are sitting there 
on the on the ground level sort of trying to deliver in the face of all these regulatory pressures and how they get pushed down. Mm. So, yeah, thank you for role modelling that so wonderfully. Um, thank you very much. And putting action behind the the uh, the words and the frustrations and the thank commitment you. to change. So thank you, Stuart. Well, it's pretty amazing, isn't it, to hear from someone like Stuart who's really walking the talk and trying to affect real change. As you'd understand, he necessarily had to be circumspect about the details and specifics of the work of the Senate. But still, I think we hear enough about his experiences of this one particular way of getting involved in university governance and trying to bring in more of the academic voice to the university decision-making. I was also really impressed with the what he kept connecting to, both in his own research identity and in his activism work, about the power of the collective and being part of working on things with other people. And this, is, I think, is particularly important because it's probably a bit risky to put yourself out there like this in some way. And what's all the more inspiring for me is that it's clearly a long game, as we know that the governance of our institutions is complex, it's likely very political, and our institutional processes are always slow to respond and change. But change can happen, and we can be part of it. So my hope is that we will all be inspired by this conversation to think about how each of us can be part of affecting change in our local contexts. You can find the summary notes, a transcript and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And I'm really hoping that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently. And you can contribute to this by rating the podcast and also giving feedback. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues. Together, we can make change happen.